Welcome to episode 19 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagari. And today we will be talking about the 43rd Academy Awards and our first time watching Five Easy Pieces. It was <laughs> up for four major Oscars, but walked away with nothing thanks to the likes of Patton, Airport, and Love Story. I think the 43rd Oscars would look a lot different today if there was a revote. What do you think? Hell yeah. These are some of the worst films I think we've talked about on this show so far. Yeah, yeah. So this is, uh, you know, Five Easy Pieces was up for Best Picture uh, at the 43rd Oscars. And so we watched all five, or sorry, four. We skipped Love Story, uh, but we watched MASH, Airport, Five Easy, and Patton, the winner. Uh, I feel strongly about two of them and feel, you know, pretty uh, pretty shitty about the other two. <laughs> As do I. Yeah, that, that would be MASH and Airport. We Neither of us really enjoyed either of those and found, you know, I find them to both be movies that have aged so poorly and are, you know, just not funny at all. The comedic timing has, is just out the window for me. Uh, I, I don't think this is a movie for the youth of today at all. Whereas Five Easy Pieces, holy hell, you know, just has this incredible script written by a woman in 1960, you know, in 1970, uh, and just a stellar performance from Jack Nicholson in the center of it, uh, who, you know, come on, Jack Nicholson, 12, 12 Oscar nominations for an individual and three wins we're talking about quite possibly the greatest actor of all time. That's, that's where he's at, right? He's in that Daniel Day-Lewis, Robert De Niro. He's in that realm of, I, I could possibly be the best to ever do it. Do you agree with that? I do, big time. And for one specific reason, you know, there's the accolades, there's the incredible performances, but there's also the paycheck gigs. But even in the paycheck gigs, Jack shines. And uh, that 100%, is- hundred percent. Not a lot of right? actors can do that. And, and and I've never seen a guy so so goddamn talented be so good at playing. The, I, he he somehow is able to let a guy like Michael Keaton get most of the screen time in Batman, but holy shit, does he steal the show and support him so well when he's there? A few good men. He allows Tom Cruise to to really operate in a really special space, but when he's able to when he needs to step in and step in, he does it as good as it gets is filled with all these amazing performances. But when he's there, he's there. He's so present. And then of course he carries, you know, Chinatown, he carries the shining, you know, five easy pieces. The guy is just a goddamn legend, you know, one flow of the cuckoo's nest. Like I, I adore him so much. I really do. And I think the fact that he has played all these, you know, villainous and weird, you know, drifter characters, and he's seemingly like a normal guy and a pretty cool dude. (laughs) From what we know, from what we see, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, you and I were talking about how, you know, as long as he's been around, you know, Hollywood and, you know, from, he was up, he he got an Oscar nomination every single decade that he was performing from the 60s 60s to the 2000s, like, holy shit, from Easy Rider to About Schmidt and everything in between, you know, this guy, it's seemingly, you know, for the most part was a pretty cool guy, you know, uh, you know, had a few marriages, you know, has a few kids and what Hollywood guy doesn't, you know, <laughs> right. He's a, uh, he, he's Jack though. You know, he's always at the Laker games, you know, throughout the eighties watching magic Johnson and then watching Kobe and Shaq in the two thousands. I, I just really like how present he's been in pop culture and you know, the swagger he carries the, the sunglasses, all that stuff is, is so cool. I love the career, like the career risks this guy took. He never played it safe. He always did stuff outside his comfort zone. Always every single one of his characters is unique and stands out. Like I look at Batman, 
that was not a safe bet in 1989. That was no. a huge gamble. That movie could have failed miserably, destroyed Jack's career, destroyed Michael Keaton's career. But he delivered one of the most badass portrayals of the Joker to this day. I, Heath Ledger's great. Joaquin's great. But I still fucking love Jack as the Joker. Oh, yeah. He still, it holds its own right 30 years later. Yeah. And still, then like. Still. Wonderful performance. A film like Mars Attacks, one of my favorites. We get to see oh, him yeah. president. Jeez. <laughs> He, he loved making movies. You could tell. Like, he relished it. Every film he ever did. And ah, It's ah, so beautiful. He really, he, an argument could be made for him being the fucking goat. He really was the best. It, it, truly, truly. You know, uh, we, we've talked about Daniel Day-Lewis, how he was, you know, picky and choosy, right? And really honed in every, you know, a couple years he would do a movie. And then later on, it became like every four years in between films you know i think it was i think it was five years in between uh there will be blood and lincoln you know he he really takes his time to hone this character and you know really figure out the, you know, what he wants to do with it and jack nicholson was you know working left and right you know yeah i mean just look at just look at the you know we're gonna go ahead and just do it now look at these these nominations you know from, from the oscars so we, we would start with easy rider from 1969 he was nominated for uh best supporting actor this movie, Five Easy Pieces, he was nominated for Best Actor. 1974, a movie that came out in 1973, sorry, The Last Detail, nominated for Best Actor. Chinatown, holy shit, nominated for Best <laughs> Actor. Uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, 1975, won for Best Actor. Reds from 1981, nominated for Best Actor. <laughs> Terms of Endearment, 1983, won for Best Supporting Actor. Pritzi's Honor, 1985, nominated for Best Actor. Iron Weed, 1987, nominated for Best Actor. A Few Good Men, 1992, nominated for Best Supporting Actor. 1997, As Good As It Gets, won for Best Actor in a Leading Role. And then his last nomination, uh, you know, because he retired, uh, is about Schmidt from 2002, and he was nominated for Best Actor. Wow. Just really remarkable when you lay it all out and look at it spans over all those decades. It's, it's truly remarkable. The hell of a run. But also, it's incomplete to me. There's still so much more I would have nominated Jack for. Well, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, we both love Batman. Obviously, and it's not there. I mean, yeah. Again, you could talk about the accolades, the pop culture, you know, the presence, and all that stuff. It all just adds up. And like you said, an argument could be made for him being the goat. So, uh, five easy pieces, though. Where, where does it rank for you as far as Jack's performances? I think it might be his most humanizing performance. I think. A lot of his characters are larger than life or wacky or crazy or, you know, weird. But Bobby Dupay is really a normal dude who just wants to live his own life but isn't sure how. And that's incredibly yes. relatable. I mean, you know, to this day, anybody who's kind of struggling with identity or their plan can take something away from this movie and from his decisions. And I really yeah. like that a lot. So I think this rates among some of his, of, among one of his greats for sure. I, I agree. Uh, it is our first time seeing it. Whereas, you know, The Shining and Batman and these films are so dear to us. But I, I really have a hard time thinking or seeing any of his roles being better than Chinatown or One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest personally. Yeah. Uh, and, in the, and in The Shining, those three are kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, <laughs> he's kind of, in my opinion, in a different realm at that point. Uh, in Chinatown, it's it's kind of scary how good he got in between that short of time from five e five easy pieces to Chinatown. It, it's kind of remarkable to see a guy 
be so talented right away and then just perfect it that quickly. He perfected his craft that quickly so that the rest of his career would be, yeah, just rewards and accolades and, and fun. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Hell yeah. I mean, I think it's because he had, you know, crazy good mentors and just these directors he was working with who could help him hone his craft so fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dude was working with Kubrick in the eighties. Uh, you know, he had, yeah. Yeah. Milos Foreman, 75. Milos, yeah. Milos Foreman, Roman Polanski. He had John yeah. Houston on the set of Chinatown. Like yep. he had big people giving him really good advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, that, that would bring us, that would bring us to, you know, that's Bob Raffleson right here is who directed five easy pieces and is written by Adrian Joyce. It's cool to have, you can tell that there's a female perspective within this screenplay, right? Yeah. Uh, as we as we get to know more and more characters, I really like the, the character of Catherine. Really liked her. Uh, this this is a powerful film, man. You know, um, this is a movie made made for people who like you know the everyday kind of film. Uh, it's it's operating on a one million dollar budget and made eighteen million dollars at the box office. It's just kind of like the story of an underdog, and we love those kind of movies. You know, not that long ago we talked about Little Miss Sunshine, which you know operated on a low budget as well and made a bunch of money and. Back in 1970, you know, that was, a, that was a really nice profit, you know, a $17 million profit off this little small film starring this guy who's just on the rise. And right away, right away, you can tell that Jack is, you know, when they're in the bowling alley right at the beginning of the film, you can, you can just tell he's, he, he's born to play this kind of a character. He's born to do it. This drifter, this guy who has no direction, you know, very, very much of the times, right, you know, uh, shortly after the Beatnik era, you know, the Bob Dylan era, the, the Neil Youngs, you know, the guys are just like, do what you want, you know, like uh, freedom, you know, fuck all that, fuck all Wall Street. And you very much, Bobby feels like a character who's just kind of like, I don't really like how things are. I'm going to kind of do things my way. Yeah. And the further you get into the movie, you realize why. It's because his family's so fucking snobby that he just can't stand them anymore. He doesn't yeah. want to live like that. He doesn't want a life where he looks down on people. And yeah, yeah, he, and he wants to remove himself from even like that rubbing off on him, you know. Yeah, and he doesn't care what he has to do to get away from that. He's willing to yeah. do whatever it takes to be his own man. That is incredibly admirable and incredibly relatable. It's you know we've all struggled at one point with not being sure of what we wanted. Oh yeah, right. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, this this movie is timeless because of that, because of that, the nature of that. And then the decisions it makes fundamentally with the characters, uh, you know, they, they're very careful of staying in, you know, staying in the lines of not making them just stereotypes. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I really enjoyed, you know, the bit with the, the lesbian characters that are stuck on the side of the road and they come into, they come into the car and, ah, everything's crap, you know, it's just a bunch of filth. Like, I really, really loved those two characters. I thought they were hilarious and added a spunk to the film that, that kind of made it unpredictable. You're like, what, what's, what's the point of this movie? And you're like, oh, it's just a movie. I'm just going to watch it. I'm going to let it entertain me. It's an hour and a half of human shit, you know? It's just, it, it's, it's people going through normal people things. And I, I, you know me, man, you know, some of my favorite films, Magnolia, you know, uh, I've talked about boyhood, you know, I've talked about moonlight. I've talked about, you know, mining the gap, you know, these are movies that I, I idolize and I really feel a certain way about and five easy pieces. You can really thank for being a part of that, you know, the new Hollywood, you know, becoming a part of that, you know, these kind of movies are cool. 
these movies about these people who are, like you said, kind of lost and don't know what to do exactly. So they're just kind of going with the flow. What I love the buildup to these kinds of movies, you can see, we've talked about a bit about the late sixties and yeah. see films like these grandiose, you know, giant budget musicals and these, you know, whimsical films and these like gangster movies with what, ha- you know, with, with the Vietnam war and the counterculture movement kind of just recreating the nation people don't care about that stuff anymore. People want to see real stories about real people struggling with their lives. People want to see, you know, the opposite of Hollywood. Yes, yes, (laughs) Yes. exactly, exactly. And that's why I think like, and I'm sure I'm showing, I'm showing my, 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 my colors here in this episode early, but I think that's why it would have been so fitting if five easy pieces would have won best picture. Yeah. Because you look, because you look down the line of the seventies and, you know, you know, you follow it with French Connection, you know, and you follow it with, you know, Godfather and The Sting and Godfather 2 and One for the Cuckoo's Nest and Rocky and Annie Hall and uh, Deer Hunter and Kramer vs. Kramer. All of the all of those are in the 70s. And they're all they're all they all got something to fucking say. They really do to 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 everybody, you know, even Godfather, which is this like it, it's fucking human. <laughs> And that's why it's so good. And that's why it's lasted so long is because Godfather takes like the amazing aspects of new Hollywood and Hollywood and just smashes them together. And that's what's so beautiful about the seventies French connection, same thing, the sting, same thing. One for the cuckoo's nest, same thing. I just think I love Patton, but I do think it would have been fitting if five easy pieces would have won just as the seventies kept going. It, the movie just made sense for the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I think that Patton winning is more of a, uh, more of the Oscars kind of being a little resistant to change again. Um, they did award best picture to midnight cowboy the year earlier, which was, you know, a humanizing story, but I think they are feeling, you know, I think they're testing the waters with that. And then Patton is another, you know, it's a grandiose Epic. Uh, and it just, it, it, it makes sense that that kind of film would win best picture here. And also other than five easy pieces, the competition ain't so stiff. I mean, they're oh, all no, no, trying no. to be a humanizing story, but they all fail at it except five easy pieces. Agreed, agreed, and it definitely is like a safer pick uh, to to choose Patton. It just it's interesting because you you bring up Midnight Cowboy and the Oscars. They do this, they do this a lot, where it's almost uh, one step forward, two steps back sort of thing. So they give In the Heat of the Night Best Picture, and then they give it to Oliver, which is an interesting call. And then they go back and they oh Midnight Cowboy, whoa that's different, that's progressive. And then they go back and give it to Patton. And so it's just weird. And, you know, we've seen this before with, you know, Moonlight winning and then, you know, not far after Green Book winning. It's like very interesting because those movies definitely don't don't clash too hot. So it's 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 fascinating how the Oscars kind of do this over and over and over. They they've never seen they, they never seem to be able to get their ground and what their identity is and what they really want to do as a as an organization. They always seem to read the room and then just assume that things are going to stay the same there, but then they completely be, you know, unaware of the evolution. And then they just kind of think, well, all right, so that one, but then people, you know, people don't care about that movie. They wanted something else that makes more, you know, connects to them, connects to what's happening in society right now. Cause I've always seen the Oscars as kind of reflective of Hollywood's uh, kind of uh, statement. Mm Mm-hmm. And 
you can look at these films and kind of assume what the Oscars thought about current state of American society. And a film like, you know, Green Book just versus, you know, Black Klansmen of the same year, you get the sense that Hollywood is still, still doesn't fucking get it. <laughs> as much as they act like they get it, they don't and they never fucking have. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about Black Panther from that Academy Awards, the 92nd Academy Awards. Green Book certainly beat out some films that would have been very progressive if they would have chosen them to win. And yeah, they, they do this. They do this, but I'm, I'm very, very hopeful as we move forward with the Oscars. Uh, obviously, the movie world is in, you know, is in this, you know, kind of chaotic mindset right now and has no idea what to do and certain you know, with Regal, rest in peace. And it's like, it, shit sucks, shit sucks, you know? And But you, you got to find some positivity somewhere, right? And I would hope that the Parasite win uh, kind of, you know, jumps forward this, this, this new decade in the, the 2020s. And we'll, we'll get some more, more good stuff for the people who really see all these movies, like you and I, and really pay attention and really care about this stuff. I hope they also care about us. You know, we're the audience. We're the ones who are, you know, investing in this sort of thing so I, I would hope they take that seriously and i think they're trying to we'll see because you know we've we've seen this pattern like you said we've seen this pattern before yep. we've seen a film that yep. teases you know a connection to the audience but then they fuck up again <laughs> so i'm not holding yeah. my breath but we'll see neither am i neither am i i just i'll just i'll just act like the glass is half full <laughs> It's, it's not easy. It's not easy. But uh, today, you know, of course, Jack is we're going to be talking about him plenty throughout this episode. Uh, but, you know, 43rd Academy Awards is where we're focused. And that's uh, April 15th, 1971 at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Patton and Airport both got 10 nominations. Uh, Patton won seven awards and also won Best Picture. So it was kind of like, you know, it was the big dog, the big dog of the show for sure. And I hadn't seen that in a, in a, in a couple of years. And I, I forgot how damn steady it is the entire three hours. I was like, there's not really, you, you could maybe make an argument that uh, after the intermission there, there might be a little lull, but, but not really for me. I can see it, but not really for me. I pretty much enjoyed the entire three hours. Me too. It's uh, this was my second time seeing Patton. Same. Yeah. And it's, I love George C. Scott so much. The guy was such a fucking powerhouse. And uh, we talked a bit about him on the Exorcist 3 episode of the Filmgasm podcast. Decline. And, uh, <laughs> he's so crazy. I don't think anybody but him could have played General Patton. Oh, no. No, no, no. There's no way. Did you, did you watch the um, Francis Ford Coppola little bit before the, the DVD starts? No, I didn't. <laughs> damn so he's so no no, you're good you're good i'll i'll talk so uh, you know for those of you who don't know francis ford coppola wrote Patton, and there's you know he was younger obviously and hadn't done godfather and hadn't done all you know apocalypse now all that bit uh but you know that that opening scene where he has you know where he's speaking to the audience in front of a giant fucking american flag (laughs) uh you know coppola wrote that and the producers just were like that's stupid that's dumb there's no way that should be there and so Coppola was like a word, you know, or, you know, some wise words to the young kids out there who are interested in film, those audacious things that you are thinking or writing or want to do. And you are thinking about scrapping it. He's like, don't scrap it. 
do it because 10 years later, they're going to idolize you for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love Francis so much. You know, he, he's obviously given us some incredible films and the fact that he wrote Patton is really cool that it kind of started his seventies run. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I love that even at the beginning, the fucking suits are on him. Like yep. they've never believed in Francis Ford Coppola, despite all the amazing hits he's given to film. They gave him shit for the Godfather. They gave him shit for the Godfather two. They gave him shit for apocalypse. Now, like they just, just fucking trust him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, you know, you know, I mean, it's the guy is obviously at this point we can we can say that it's just it's so weird. We talked about the, the Godfather 11th, 11th choice. That's that's appalling. That's appalling, you know, uh, to look back at. And this is the kind of stuff you and I kind of like we love it. We feed off of it. We're like, yeah, we want that knowledge. And it, it's kind of just amazing to go back uh, when you know what they've done over the you know past few decades. It's just amazing to look at. Truly. And honestly, that is my favorite part of Patton. It, the intro is just so perfect. It's it's propaganda, straight up. Oh, man, favorite part of Patton. Holy shit. That's really tough because it is an epic film. It is very epic. Definitely one of my favorite war films. Uh, like that from, you know, start to finish, it's just so damn consistent. And this character, Patton, you know, he... Uh, a very much a divisive guy, right? Obviously, during during World War II where uh, there's there's plenty of, you know more liberal folks in, in, in the States who thought that he was, yeah, this, this, this just brute, you know, just this, you know, right wing brute. Ugh. And then the conservative folks in, in, in the United States were like, yeah, we, we, we need this kind of guy right now. We need this kind of guy to, to figure shit out. And, you know, there's an argument for both sides. And that's why this movie Patton, because the script is so strong from Francis, he doesn't side with Francis is not siding with one, one or the other. He's making him look like a hero, but also, at times making him look like the villain, you know? So he, he really, really figured out how to make that character so fascinating. And then when you get George C. Scott playing it, you know, it's just kind of like a match made in heaven. Yeah. I mean, throughout the film, you've got, you know, General Patton at some of his biggest victories, but also some of his biggest blunders. Yes. Slapping the guy for cowardice, which I have mixed feelings about admittedly. But then I think the big thing that really kind of cements his craziness is at the end when he's like, you know, if I had my way, we'd attack the Russians right now. Like, if Patton had been in charge, we would have gone to war with Russia immediately after we yeah. went to war with Germany. <laughs> and who knows how, you know, what the fuck would have happened after that. So you kind of need to reel people like this in. You know, they're great on the battlefield, but when they're, you know, when the war is over, they need it back or else they don't have anything worthwhile in their lives. Patton was one of those guys. He needed battle. It was who he was at his core. And goddamn, he was good at it. But outside of battle, the dude was kind of a fuck up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which causes, you know, because war is so much more than just battle. It's such a mental game. It's such a, a leader game, take care of people game, management game. And I, I love that this film shows that aspects of it and shows that not everybody's made up for every part of war. Right. There's many aspects to war, not just the, the strategy behind it that, that, you know, Patton would like to believe. Yeah, this was, guy, <laughs> this guy's this guy's like uh, fucking Bill the Butcher. He feeds off competition. He needs it. He really, yeah, straight up. That's a great comparison. He really was just this, you know, fucking war hawk, this brutal guy who wanted, you know, he wanted to lead troops. He wanted to be at the fucking front killing Germans. 
That's all he wanted to do. And then I, I love later on he says in the film, like, hopefully we can win here so I can go to the Pacific and kill Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, dude. All right. One oh. son of a bitch to another son of a bitch. I'll drink to that. <laughs> Tell him I will never drink with a Russian son of a bitch. Tell him that. <laughs> the He's a son of a bitch too. Like, yeah. I can't say that. Uh, another another thing I really appreciate about Patton is the the use of multiple languages uh, and yeah. sticking to sticking to that. This is a fifty year old movie uh, that's really really sticking to the the consistency and the you know the story and not they just I don't know I just really liked it and I understand why it won Best Picture. Um, and you know, well we can talk more about that in some other episode because I really do feel. Like when we revisit the 43rd Academy Awards, we might want to do that one. I agree. It's uh, it's easily the strongest film alongside Five Easy Pieces of that year. And, yeah, uh, it would be a joy to talk, to dive into the career of General Patton and George C. Scott. That would be fun. Yeah, man. Yeah, unless we find something random from that year that we both uh, you know like. Yeah, I think I think Patton's Patton's uh, up next. Sweet. And uh, I do want to point out that George C. Scott did win Best Actor for Patton and is the first actor to openly refuse the award. Yep. Citing that the, uh, the Academy Awards were, quote, a two-hour meat parade, a public display with contrived suspense for economic reasons. All he cared about was turning in good performances. He didn't need accolades. He didn't give a fuck if people liked him, if people liked the performance. He was his own man, and I respect that. Yeah, me too. I have no problem with that. You know, I we've talked a lot of shit about the Oscars. We love them, but we also get really frustrated with them. And it definitely, that's meat parade. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it is. We yeah. talked about on the Wings episode that the Oscars mm-hmm. were created so that uh, Louis B. Mayer could get these actors to shut the hell up for, over something shiny. Like, that was yeah. the whole reason these Oscars exist. But, yeah. you know, we, we find more to like about them than that. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Right. You know, uh, when you are just obsessed with movies and talking about them, the Oscars are, are a fun place to go because there, there is some gold here and there. And I, I think Five Easy Pieces was a really good find. You know, this is our first time watching it for both of us. We got Netflix through the mail and we got the fucking Criterion version. That was really cool. Um, and enjoyed that. Enjoyed that a lot. Um, and it's something I'm definitely going to buy. It was it was up for four, like I said, and, and didn't win any. And, but they're all big. They're all big. We like to do this. We like to take movies that, uh, like, in the bedroom is up for these big awards. You're like, but what's the deal there? Why didn't it, you know, why didn't it get anything? And that sort of thing. We, we like we like doing that. So I, I'm going to let you start it off. But we, we have best writing for story screenplay based on factual material. We have best actress in a supporting role, best actor, and best picture. So we'll start with best writing, right? Yep. Best writing. And this would be best original screenplay now. Exactly. They've always, which is weird because Patton was based on two books, but I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we have My Night at Maud's, Love Story, Joe, Five Easy Pieces, and the winner, Patton. And uh, Five Easy Pieces should have taken this. That, that film is all about this original story based around this, you know, this loner, this drifter. Patton is a really good screenplay, but A, I feel like it should be in the adapted category, and B, it's, I feel like as good as Francis Ford Coppola did, I feel like this could have been churned out a biopic on Patton. Five Easy Pieces feels like nobody else could have written this. It, that's, that's, that's exactly right. It's so goddamn original. Adrian Joyce, 
Uh, I believe she actually, that's like her pen name. Yeah, her real name's Carol Eastman. Um, and she, you know, she wrote screenplay for uh, Monte Hellman's The Shooting, Five Easy Pieces. And that's, you know, and then The Fortune from 1975. That's really it. You know, she doesn't have this. She died in 2004 at age 69. And um, I, I find this screenplay to be very, very special. And to be something, like you said, couldn't have been written by anybody else. Clearly, this was in her brain these random characters happening, you know, and just things, just things happening. Uh, I, I, I'm a sucker for that. Yeah, me too, man. I love a unique original story and it's really surprisingly hard to find those. Oh boy. It, it truly is right. You know, off the top of your head, it's really hard to, you know, you know, figure out, of course we have our guys like Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson, these guys that always write original stuff for the most part. And, but you know, you're, you think about how many big movies you watch throughout each year, you know, go to the theater for that are based on something, you know, whether based on comics or based on a novel or based on this or that or a video game or, you know, it's just so much, so much of it is, is from source material. And it's nice to have something that's just straight from somebody's brain to the screen. And that's it. Yeah, that's and I, that's that's obviously why you and I have kind of got along originally when we became friends, you know, at, when we worked at Animal Draft House, we found out right away that we both like Tarantino and it kind of became this thing of like, obviously that's a good foundation. Let's find out what other things. And we clearly both found out that we, we like original work. We love original work because we both like to write. We like to create, we like to do things. And uh, that, that's, that's certainly special. And uh, again, this could have only been, been written by her. Straight up. And then like you look at the winner for best, best adapted screenplay. It was weird because you had best screenplay based on factual material or material not previously published. So it could be like an original screenplay, but also like a screenplay based on uh, like nonfiction work or something. It was very weird how they separated these. Cause then super bizarre best screenplay based on material from another medium. The winner was mash, which, uh, <laughs> which ring Lardner jr. The winner said that his script was almost completely ignored and the entire film was widely improvised. So the fact that he won an Oscar for this is fucking ridiculous. That's so, that's quite quite frustrating. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that Five Easy Pieces really dominated when it comes to story for this year, and that should have taken screenplay. Yeah, I agree. I agree, which would bring us to Best Supporting Actress. Best Supporting Actress. We have Maureen Stapleton for Airport, Sally yeah. Kellerman for MASH, yeah. Lee Grant for The Landlord, Karen Black for Five Easy Pieces, and the winner, Helen Hayes, for Airport. And uh, we actually have a dog in this race because we've seen all but four. I mean, all but one. We did not see the Yeah. Line. Yes. And I, I just, I don't quite understand Airport. Just to, none of the, none of the, none of the performances really impressed me at all. Really didn't. Uh, I don't, honestly, I don't really think any of these women deserve best supporting actress i i i agree with you i really do i think that karen black is she's the closest of going across the line to just becoming a stereotype um and that might be the point that might be the point maybe i'm missing it maybe i need to see it again but she obviously is very you know very clingy and doesn't you know know exactly what she's going to do and she makes hints at being you know wanting to be this country singer but i i really don't think it's this you know, amazing performance. And, and within five easy pieces, you know, I brought up the character of Catherine. I, who's to say she shouldn't have been up, right? Her, or I would argue uh, Lois Smith as a 
Tita, the sister. Oh yeah, she was great. Yeah, those 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 initial scenes when she's playing the piano and you're just kind of like, who the hell is this? Like I could watch a whole movie about her for sure. Yeah, but then all the performances in Airport, I feel like they just picked out of a hat because I feel like the old lady in Airport, not a particularly memorable performance. Don't really think she deserved an Oscar for that. And then uh, Maureen Stapleton's character is the bomber's wife who's barely in the movie anyway and only has like one big scene and it's not very, no, it's not Oscar worthy. And then Sally Kellerman from MASH is a fucking horrible character. So I just, yeah, like what happened here? (laughs) Yeah, you know, Ray, Ray, uh, Karen Black's character obviously has to deal with with Bobby who's just kind of a dick, this dick drifter. So there's a reason she's, you know, sometimes uh, maybe gets on our nerves. So I can't totally blame it on her, right? This is just a toxic relationship, but she's a part of it. True. I mean, she does, you know, things like just show up, you know, just lay down and not talk to him when he's packing to go see his dying father. Things, you know, knowing he's cheating on her, but still just sticking around anyway. Like, they're both kind of shits. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Which is why they're together, I guess. I love that he just... Well, I'm going to spoil the movie here a little bit because, I mean, it's been out for 50 years. If you haven't seen it by now, it's on you. Yep. But I love that he just fucking leaves her at the gas station, just gets in a truck and fucks off. That's <laughs> that's the best ending you, you that we could have had. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it really is. You know, I knew that was good. I knew that was coming. When he pulls over, I'm like, <laughs> uh, he's a drifter. He's going to get out of here, you know, and you can feel it the whole movie at some point. He's going to just just dip, just fucking dip. You know, like that's what he's gonna do. That he's a he's a drifter. Come on, you can't hold him back. No direction home, baby. Hell no. So yeah, I think if I had my way, I would give it to either Lois Smith or Susan Ansback for Five Easy Pieces. Yeah, Susan Ansback is definitely my pick. I I really like that that character, and she's going toe to toe with Jack. She's like actually dramatically, intellectually going toe to toe with him. That's tough. That's 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 that, awesome. That's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> Then we have Best Actor, Ryan O'Neill for Love Story, Jack Nicholson for Five Easy Pieces, James Earl Jones for The Great White Hope, Melvin Douglas for I Never Sang for My Father, and the winner, George C. Scott for Patton. Um, As much as I love Jack, I'm still going to give this to George C. Scott. Yeah, yeah, I know. Me too. Me too. Uh, I I think... I mean, he's carrying, I mean, seriously, the movie's two hours and 52 minutes, and he's, he's carrying pretty much the entire thing. Um, I really want to see The Great White Hope. James Earl Jones is a, is a guy, obviously, that's a pop culture icon just, yeah. from, his, just from his Star Wars work. But, uh, you know, I, I would love to see some of his stuff from, from when he was in his prime. As soon as I heard, as I saw a clip of the phrase, love means never having to say you're sorry, I knew I was going to despise love story. So I love Ryan O'Neill and Barry Lyndon and let's, let's leave it at that. Yeah. 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 That's, that's right. And Ryan O'Neill was, was hot shit, you know, back then and was certainly just going to, you know, get nominations no matter what happened. What happened to that guy? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. He probably burned some bridges. He seems like the guy to have an ego. Yeah. He's yeah. He's still alive right now. He's 79. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> Not sure. Yeah, and then uh, I never sang for my father. Um, I have heard of it. Um, I have not seen it. I haven't really seen anything of Melvin Douglas. He's in, a guy who popped around a lot. Uh, I think he's won like two Oscars, but I've never seen any of his work. Yeah, he's he's a uh, a guy who 
started somewhere in the 30s, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it says Douglas came to prominence in the 1930s. Yeah, as a leading man. Yeah, definitely a guy will will just trip up on at some point because of the show. And that's I'm very grateful. I, I do think George C. Scott just kind of earned this one, you know, by being stuck in that role and being so damn committed to it. The stuff he's doing with his eye, like the whole time, is 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 really really remarkable. <clears throat> and this the, the stuff of legends, you know, it really is. Uh, I love George C. I got to talk about him on Doctor Strange Love. That was a blast. He is he's remarkable in that movie, and and he's he's really damn good in Patton. So yeah, I have no problem with it. Jack is great though. Jack, it's definitely one of my one of my favorite roles of his that I've seen so far, and I can't wait to see more. Hell yeah, hell yeah, Jack could have taken this but you know george c scott this is and he he did decline it so i don't know it would have been interesting if that year it had two winners yeah if they'd been like hey jack do you want it yeah (laughs) awesome and uh that takes us to best picture where we have mash love story five easy pieces airport and the winner Patton. And uh, we watched all of these, but love story because, frankly, we just couldn't take it anymore. And um, yeah, yeah, because when you watch Airport and Mash in the same week, you're like, I can't take, I can't take that risk of watching a third shitty movie from one Oscar show. <laughs> but I promise, like when we do come back to this year and we do likely do Patton, we will watch Love Story and we will bring that into the conversation. Yes, 100. percent You know, I actually think. A way to a way to really make next time we visit this year really interesting is if we did Woodstock the documentary. Ooh, interesting. Because we both obviously we both love adore that era of music, and it'd be a really cool way to bring that that era of music into the show. Who knows? Maybe one day we'll do Woodstock. That'd be a lot of fun. That would be fun. That would be neat. It won yeah. It, it won best documentary that year. Uh, you know, yeah. It's it's a possibility. And we have not. Uh, ruled out documentaries on this show we've not ruled out short films anything up for an nope. oscar yeah no i i uh you know <clears throat> i mentioned mining the gap it's one of my favorite movies ever and it's certainly going to be an episode at some point on this show you know I, for sure we're going to sh- stretch out you know and and meet everything um you know we really 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 can't wait for next week <laughs> ah. uh, more on that later <laughs> Hell yeah. So let's talk about the ones we did see. Uh, we'll put yeah, yeah, yeah. Side. first up mm-hmm. mash <clears throat> in theory rating uh, right from the get go. I don't like the uh, f- first off when I'm, when I'm watching a best picture nominee, um, here we go. 1970, here we go. You know, new era of film. I'm expecting something that's going to be, give me, give me something, you know, give me some kind of reward. Give me some kind of entertainment. No, nothing. And I kind of felt it t- 15 minutes in the way it's filmed. Not for me. Uh, the way the characters are just treating what's happening around them, not for me. I, that's not for me. I would much rather, if I'm going to go down that road, I would much rather watch a movie that knows what it is, like Spaceballs. A movie that's actually funny and actually knows it's, it's you know, a, you know, an actual comedy. MASH, I, I don't dig it. I, I don't, it's not for me and I'm never going to watch the show. Uh, I've seen bits and pieces of the show. My family loved it. Uh, growing up so I've seen bits and pieces just like across my whole life and it never occurred to me that it was a comedy I always thought it was a drama until I looked into it and I'm like oh it's a sitcom yeah 
Yeah, then, people laugh at this stuff, dude. Yeah. And then I saw the movie and I'm like, what is this? Like, did they just leave the camera running? Like, did that, was there any direction given on this film? People are talking over one another. You can't understand what anybody's yeah. saying. None of the characters stand out. Everyone's kind of a prick. There's no, like, it ends with a fucking football game. The black dude's nickname is Spear Chucker. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't dig this movie at all. And I, I have, yeah, I felt it the whole time. And I, and the same with the airport. It's a different, different kind of dislike, but airport is just like, what are we doing here? This is boring. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Airport. We'll go, we'll move down to airport. Airport is two hours and 17 minutes. It did not need to be. That movie could be done in an hour 20, <laughs> but they shove so much unnecessary subplot soap opera bullshit into that movie to make it somehow more entertaining. But really, if you just focus on the bomber, that's all we, that's all you need. And that shit doesn't happen for an hour. It's ridiculous. There's so much, it, it felt like the pilot to a TV show. And there's like four sequels to this movie, by the way. I know airport 75, airport 77, airport 79. TV show. What are we doing? Oh, I was, I was, I was like angry at times. And you know, when you texted me, I, I, I knew you were not going to like it. So I just, I said it was all right because I was like, just, just, just watch it. Because there's no way if I would have told you it's shit, you would have been like, oh, well, I don't want to go into it. You know, you always want to let, you always want to let your, your, your buddies just kind of digest it and process it as they need to. Uh, ugh, boy. It's just, and, and you know, I love split screen, you know, uh, <laughs> shout out, shout out to Noah Hawley with, with, uh, Fargo season four has been pretty good so far. And he's to me, the, the modern master of split screen and TV today. And I love, I just watched a Brian De Palma film from 1972 called sisters where he uses the split screen really effectively. That's because they don't use it the whole time, but this movie, holy shit. They use it on these stupid phone conversations. This dumbass shit makes it feel like I'm watching the fucking Brady Bunch. Like, dude, get this shit off. Like, it's not a Best Picture nominee. It's not, you know? And so for anyone who thinks that we only praise this fucking, you know, the Academy, we don't. You know, when we see shit, it's shit. And we're going to call it out. And that's what those two movies are. I refuse to let any of our podcasts be just, you know, stroking off the Oscars. I refuse do that if the movie's shit we're gonna point it out we're gonna say it shit no matter how classic it's considered if we don't like it we're gonna fucking say it and we're gonna point out why yeah we've yeah. always done that yeah <laughs> and, uh, yeah of course of course and this is one of the worst which one's worse mash or airport oh mash easily yeah, they're both pretty bad i think i give them both fives at I least think. airport i could like i could stay awake for i fell asleep yeah that that's true. That's true. Right. There's for whatever reason, I felt the same way. I was like, maybe something all right will happen. Look at all these, look at all these incredible actors that I've heard so much about. Maybe something will happen, you know, and no, just, just kind of like a, a snooze fest. And, you know, Roger Ebert's review of it is fucking hilarious. Uh, I highly suggest anyone who's watched airport to go and read that. But yeah, mash mash probably is a little bit worse just as far as like, it, what is this you know that whole thing and, and just like you said people talking over each other it's just not a good production whereas airport at least you can hear what people are fucking saying true but i just wish they were fucking saying something because most yeah. of the time it's airplane jargon and just you know kind of pointless bullshit there's not really a it, there's too many characters in this movie like a lot of this could have been cut for time <laughs> 
a lot of this does not need to be here. Do they need to spend two and a half hours digging out the plane? Is that really our priority here? Like easily they could have used the other runway. That's like, that is not, they did that specifically for dramatic effect. A, a bomb exploding on a plane does not react that way. I don't care what decade it is. A bomb is going to fuck up a plane. <laughs> it's not going to just blow a hole in it, throw a gust of wind into the plane and then they can land it safely. That's not how it works. No, no, not hardly. I mean, I've never been in a plane crash, but I can fucking guess. As you know, considering all the plane crashes that have happened, the bomb, you know, it just, it really irritated me. Like how they didn't get, they didn't care. It's Terrible. Felt, it's, you know, Clayton, I've heard for years, it's this like super dramatic action thriller. And it's not, it's a soap opera disguised as an action movie. Yep, 100%. Like a disaster movie. Yeah, it's terrible. Why did they drag Burt Lancaster into this? God. I don't know. So I don't much know. better it, than that. Yeah, and, and that, you know, thankfully we had two, at least two that were good. Thank God. Oh, my God. But, yeah, I'm, so MASH and Airport are the main reasons we skipped Love Story. We just couldn't handle it. We knew it was going to suck. Yeah, and we're... Um, you know, like Patton, uh, you have on DVD, so you let me borrow it. Uh, same with MASH. And we got five easy pieces through the mail. But the other two, we knew ahead of time we were going to have to rent. You know, and that's, you know, yeah, whatever. It's only three ninety nine or whatever. But still that like, you know, if we're doing that every week and on top of that, we're watching like a shit movie like Airport for three ninety nine. We don't want to do that again. So yeah, uh, had, had we had I owned Love Story, of course we would have watched it, you know, but uh Sometimes these are not at our access and that will happen a lot as we go back to older and older shit. And if we're going to pay for it, we want assurances that it's going to be good. <laughs> well, like, like five easy pieces, you know, this is a film we've heard a lot about. It's you know, selected by Criterion and, you know, it's Jackie Jack. Uh, certainly a film we had no problem seeking out and trying to get, you know, and got through Netflix to the mail. So it, it, it was something we both knew we wanted to see. That's why we chose it and felt comfortable uh, Patton would have been the safer choice, but that's what the Oscars did, and that's not what we do. So uh, <laughs> let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about Patton versus Five Easy Pieces because that's obviously the two best ones. Patton, Best Picture winner, nineteen seventy. The story of one of America's most controversial military commanders, General George S. Patton Jr., man who led forces in uh, Africa during World War II, led forces in Europe but was famous mostly for his sound bites that fucked up his career. <laughs> and uh, he was an amazing military leader, but he really had, a, it had issues with politics. He didn't know how to play the game. And you can't succeed in American politics if you can't play the game. And uh, it's a very de- interesting movie. It's a depi- it's a way to de- the way they depicted Patton is not this, you know, celebrated hero it's a he's a very flawed figure yes and i i like the, the take they they uh the angle they went with it yeah me too i i love the the screenplay uh and i really like how they keep it gray they keep it gray they don't side one way or the other keep it gray and this is you know Patton. we talked about how five easy pieces was operating on a one million dollar budget and made 18 million dollars at the box office well, Patton's a you know slightly bigger twelve million dollar budget with a forty five million dollar uh, rake in, so it's just yeah, this is very different. I love when these two two movies like this kind of go toe to toe. I love that for sure. 
And uh, I could see either one of these taking best picture, but as we discussed, Patton is the safer choice. And uh, it is great. I don't have issues with it winning best picture. Uh, I'm very glad fucking MASH didn't take best picture. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That would have aged so, so poorly. Yeah. Pat- Patton is good and it has an amazing performance, amazing script. I, I, I'll stand behind, I'll stand by my, my statement earlier that if we looked back at it, I think I had five easy pieces. One, it just would make that seventies just look so cool and so clean. Whereas Pat- Patton is kind of the safer choice. Like you said, I, I've seen most of the 1970s best picture winners. There's still a couple. I still need to see which ones. I need to see the sting. I have it. Uh, you can, you can, you, I'm sure y'all have it. Come on. Yeah. You, you'll love that movie. Um, I need we'll to save see... it for an episode. We'll save it for an episode <laughs> so that we can jump into it. Cause I really like it. I guarantee you'll enjoy it. I think it's just the sting and Kramer versus Kramer. That's all I have left. That, that also I'm we're, we'll definitely do one day. So yeah, that's yeah. Easy, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. It would be nice to finish up a decade. The only decade I've finished up is the 2010s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've done the 2000s as well, I believe. I believe. I still need to see Million Dollar Baby and Slumdog Millionaire. I like I like both of those. Don't love either of them. Like them. Um, what about the 90s? Um, I, need, I, I need to see Schindler's List. Oh, man. That, that, I know that. I knew that, but that always blows my mind because that's, that's, that's right in your wheelhouse. Holy shit. I, know, I just know it's going to be extremely it's, depressing. It's <laughs> long. It's long. It's tough to put myself in a Holocaust mindset for three hours. Well, that's how we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we do that on the show as well. So we kind of just have a way to talk about it, get that stuff off your chest. I think that is all for the 90s. So you got oh, Silence of the Le- English Patient. Okay, okay. I like English Patient. I don't love it again. Shakespeare in Love. Do you like that one? I, you know what? I did. I it's did. Okay. I did like it's it. Okay. It's okay. I, I still think Saving Private Ryan deserved that Oscar, but it's not terrible. Well, well, let's well, you know, Big Lebowski. <laughs> Big Lebowski really deserved it, but you know, if we're talking what was up, what was happening back then, give it to Saving Private Ryan. But if we're talking '98, give it to the Le- Lebowski. Well, what else was up in 98? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, Life is Beautiful, Thin Red Line. Um, that is all I've got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on that front. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan uh, out of that group. Um, yeah, oh, it's so much fun to go back and look at these, right? And just just kind of have that conversation. That's why you watch them. So you can, you can kind of put them up against each other, put them both on a pedestal. And that's what we kind of got to do with five easy pieces and Patton. Cause it clearly became a race between two movies for you and I. And uh, I, I think, I, I think I'll give it to five easy pieces. It's like my, my ultimate, um, you know, call on it. I'm going to stay with Patton. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I have George C. Scott. What the hell? You can't, I don't really have a lot of reasoning beyond just, I fucking love George C. Scott in this movie. I love the music. And just the opening line, you know, I want you to remember that no poor bat, no bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor bastard die for his country. Yes. Jesus. Talk about. Yeah. Brutally honest. Well, and then the, the, the final lines are is, is genius when he's walking the dog. Sorry, we're, we're, we're also spoiling Patton. But again, 50 year old movie, uh, you know, all glory, all glory is fleeting. Like that's that's. Yeah, that's like so fucking cinematic. Um, 
I, again, I'll bring up Bill the Butcher. Gangs of New York is one, one of my favorite movies that uses that at the end of the film with the graves going down and Manhattan coming up. Like, just, oh. just so cinematic, you know? Uh, I love moments like that. Beautiful. Just makes you, you know, reminds you that nobody is important in the grand scheme of things. Like, we all end up as, you know, worm food under the ground. <laughs> Regardless of what you achieve in life, in death, we're all the same. But you got it. But you got to do it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> you got to do it. The things, the things humans have done to uh, avoid the thought of death. Got to kill those Irish. <laughs> anyway, go see Gangs in New York. It'll make sense. <laughs> uh, so, are there any awards you think Five Easy Pieces should have been up for? I, I, I do. I do. Um, I, I would say. I would say directing. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think this movie, especially the first 30, 40 minutes where we're really, really in this place, you know, when he's at the bowling alley and working on the oil rig with Elton and those, those scenes are mighty, mighty impressive. I think cinematography. Ah, hundred percent goes hand in hand, right? You know, um, uh, I just think this movie is timeless in that way. And you and I were texting kind of like, Oh, you see how this influenced the, the the everyday kind of film that's about the everyday kind of people to just just do it, just make it. It can be great. It can be great. It act, it absolutely can. And uh, I think with that, let's get into five easy pieces. Let's talk about our favorite bits of this film. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Obviously, we've talked a lot about Jack Nicholson and how much we love him. So we're gonna start out with um, we have four still four awards. We're gonna we're gonna start out with best line slash quote. We're going to do best music moment, which is really interesting for this movie. Yes. And then we're going to do, we're going to do best performance and then best scene. So I'll let you start with your best line. I think you have two of them, right? I have two best lines. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. My first is actually, they're both kind of goofy because I just, they made me laugh. Uh, when Bobby and Elton are stuck in traffic and the guy behind oh. him won't stop honking his horn. Bobby yells out, why don't you flash your light so we can see what else you got for Christmas? Ah, so good. <laughs> so and for, good. for a while, my best scene was when he gets on the piano and just starts playing and then the truck just drives away. Brilliant. <laughs> Bobby, it's turning right. <laughs> I'm too loaded. <laughs> you, you, oh, you, man. you do your line and then I'll do my second one. Okay, okay. Yeah, I have, I have one and it's... Uh, pretty intense one here it's a uh, jackie jack i move around a lot not because i'm looking for anything really because i'm getting away from things that get bad if i stay damn yeah i don't really have anything to say about it just yeah it's a great line that defines his character he just it yeah it defines jack fucking nicholson you know it's <laughs> it's um how weird it is, you know, watching, being the age we are and watching, getting really attached to The Shining, getting really attached to Chinatown and One Flew Cuckoo's Nest and knowing that this movie came before all of those and that it's just kind of like, you know, we're seeing into the future here, you know, with this, with this character, he's going to continue to do these kinds of characters, but he's going to fucking perfect it. And I, I, I love that part of cinematic history. And there's, there's, you know, when he's talking to his dad, and I, you know, when he's talking to Catherine, you want serious? He's, he's, he's just the fucking man. Jack Nicholson is the man. 
He is the man. And uh, that's fantastic. Uh, my second line was when he picks up the lesbian couple and one of them says, you know, we're going to Alaska because Alaska's clean. It's beautiful. There's no shit there. And Bobby just says, well, that was before the big thaw. <laughs> just to fuck with her. <laughs> and she said, what's that? And he's just kind of smirking like <laughs> He's bored. He's bored. He's driving and he's like, I got to find some entertainment for myself. God, those two uh, ladies. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> just yeah. the worst people. God Goddamn filth everywhere. It's just filth and crap and filth everywhere. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. <laughs> All right. Best music moment. I'm curious where you're going to go with this one here. Because this is this is a, you know, a soundtrack, right? Essentially. Yeah. And we're choosing songs and I, I thought the scene where Jack Nicholson, uh, Bobby, had just slept, had just cheated on, on, on Ray and comes back around and is about to leave for Washington. And he goes into the house. A brilliant shot. You know, you kind of have the little alleyway and you can see through the door and he comes around and he goes inside. And uh, D-I-V-O-R-C-E by Tammy Wynette is playing Divorce. <laughs> and I that country ass song and Karen Black is laying in the bed and Jack Nicholson, uh, you can hear the song as he's going in and out through the house, you know, and then he goes to the car and that's when he has, to me, one of the coolest scenes of the movie when he's fucking shit, fuck, you know, and starts, starts hitting the steering wheel, you know, classic Jack and then gets back out and goes back inside. The song is still playing and he's like, do you want to go with me? <laughs> you know, and this song that's called Divorce and it's just this really, really sad country song by, by this female singer who's got this kind of old school whiny you know country voice and i thought it was i thought it was brilliant i thought it was borderline the best scene in the movie uh but i, I chose something else but I, I thought that was amazing fantastic i went a little bit more uh meta with mine okay it's the scene where bobby plays chopin of course for Catherine. for Catherine. yes and you you get this feeling that he really is bearing his soul but he's afraid to admit it that's why he tells her, you know, I just played, I just picked the easiest thing I could think of. And you thought you saw something, you fucking idiot. Like, no, he really was. He really did feel something. He really did connect with something there, but he was afraid to, to face it. And it's such a beautiful scene. You, you could call this movie one of the better music movies of all time. Yeah, for sure. And for those of you who don't know, the name of the movie, Five Easy Pieces, comes from a book of easy piano pieces to play. Yes. It's as I was wondering about that the whole movie, and I looked at the trivia and like, oh, okay, so it's about piano. Same, same, same. Yeah, it, it really is. You know well, that that beginning time we see him get on the truck and play the piano. You're like, this, this really is. You know, he's he's fucking kind of built for this. You know, the way he was trained and all this stuff with his family. And as as the film kind of changes tone and he goes to Washington, it, it it's amazing when he plays. I love that moment. I definitely thought about that. I really like that. You you connected with that moment because it it certainly hit me pretty hard as well. Yeah. Oh, I just love the idea of a man who wants to express himself, who wants to be, to connect with somebody, but there's something in him that just fucking won't like, he yeah. just can't do it. It hurts. It's sad. Well, he, he's, yeah, he's completely afraid to commit to anything, you know, completely afraid to find an actual direction. Cause that might mean he needs to be responsible. And that, that, that idea frightens him. The idea, you know, he's seen, like you brought up earlier, he's seen this, this snobby family that brought him up and 
how they operate. And he wants no part of that. You know, he wants to find something completely different, detach himself, redefine himself as a man. And that sometimes, sometimes that's, you just can't do that. You know, sometimes the, those parts of your family, you have to find the right ways and ways to make it strength, make it strength for you, you know, and, I, I really wish, you know, that character would embrace the piano playing part of his life. Cause I think, you know, like you said, I think he really feels something, but again, he's afraid to commit because he knows he's fucking good at piano and he doesn't really want to go into it. Cause that would mean he needs to be responsible. And he would end up, he thinks he'd end up just like his family and he hates yep. his family. Yeah. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to redefine himself. Well, that obviously we chose the same person for best performance. <laughs> Yeah, that's not even a contest. <laughs> same thing. Same thing last week. Uh, you know, we did Angels and Dirty Faces, right? And we're, we're talking about James Cagney. We both were like, it's not really a contest sort of thing. Uh, very similar here. Uh, Jack is, it's up there. It's it's up there. You could call it a top five Jack performance. You could call it a top two. I, and I have no argument. Next week's is going to be interesting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. I know. For all of these, actually. It's going to make me, it's going to force me to make some decisions. A hundred percent. Damn right. Ah, all right. Best scene. This is going to be interesting. I'm very curious as to what you picked here. It, it's for, for me, it's gotta be when he's talking to his dad. Um, yeah. Towards, towards the end of the film. Uh, I, I would tack that on really the last, you know, 15 to 18 minutes or so when he does that and his sister basically catches him as he's trying to leave, you know? Uh, and then he, has to ditch Ray, you know, and the credits, the decision to just put the cast up for a while, while Ray is looking around the gas station and Jack is just in the truck and it's just gone. And eventually the camera is so patient. The direction is so patient that the, the, the truck that he's in, we literally can't see it in sight anymore. And then finally the screen goes to black. So I would combine kind of all of that together. Uh, I think it starts with a conversation with his dad where he's, saying things like I'm imagining what you would say in this conversation like that. Oh my God. You know, it, it takes, takes a lot of, a lot of balls, you know, to have those, those kind of talks with someone who, you know, you think understands you, but can't speak. And his dad above all, you know, people, it's, it's a brutal scene. What about you? Well, I, I had a scene that's a bit more forgiving. Uh, it's the scene where Bobby loses his shit at the guests and, oh, oh yeah you're all full of shit yeah when they when they're insulting ray and he's like who the fuck are you to you know to call her anything to like look down on her you're all full of shit because it looks like he's defending ray but he's really defending himself he has he didn't give a fuck about ray he's there he's basically saying like i am better than you you pompous sons of bitches it's such yeah. a great scene just affirms his you know, disconnect from this entire world. I love it. Yeah, me too. I, you, you have Rayette. How could you move away from such a place? And he's like, Oh, I don't know. You know, and it, yeah, he's, he's remarkable. She asked if they have any ketchup and he's like, dear Lord, <laughs> uh, he, he's, he's had enough. Um, he's had enough. And that, that moment with Catherine is certainly something that I could see as the best scene when he closes the door after knocking everything off the dresser or, or you could say that the, the uh, diner scene when he knocks yes. everything off the table and tells that waitress off. Um, 
there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's really powerful. You could say the opening scene in the bowling alley is is fucking terrific. Just the, the this stuff is so cool to me because you, just the beer cans they're using are unique. Uh, the cigarettes, you know, the the layout of these towns, this town that they're in, they're they're in California, but it's very much not, you know, just Los Angeles like we're used to. It's a small town. I I I actually felt that this movie influenced Big Lebowski quite a bit. Really. Because of that aspect of, of the kind of odd California, you know, bits, I, I, I've felt vibes in the first 30 minutes or so uh, of Big Lebowski and this kind of like, ho, 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 characters just kind of like, you know, and obviously the bowling part uh, really, really made me think of Big Lebowski. Right on. I never, I didn't make that connection, but that's very interesting. I can see it. Well, yeah, I just, I, I thought maybe, maybe the Coens were like, inspired like hey let's just fucking throw bowling into one of our movies because that's a cool place to it's a cool place for people to just converse and talk especially before cell phones were in play and you had guys just meeting up to hang out drink some beer smoke some cigarettes and throw a fucking ball down some wood (laughs) yeah man fuck it dude let's go bowling yeah yeah (laughs) fuck it dude exactly that's awesome um yeah there's a lot of scenes in this film that could that could take it it's a very well constructed film but it's only like an hour and 40 minutes, you know, it really is concise and it just, there's no fat. There's no fat. The ping pong scene. Genius. Genius. He's just making fun of him. He's just like making fun of how he walks and you're clearly seeing the insecurities in Bobby, you know, as he's just crushing him in ping pong, but he keeps making fun of him, keeps being a bully. That stuff is fascinating. Yeah, it really is. I, uh, I think this is definitely one of the influences uh, behind Magnolia at least Tom Cruise's part. A hundred percent. hundred percent. As soon as he went to talk to his dad, I'm like, oh shit, Austin's going to love this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You texted me. You were like, I think you're going to love this one. And I, I did, you know, I, I would give it a, I would give it a solid nine. It's got a chance of moving up to a 10 one day. I'm going to buy this. It's, it's powerful. And it's certainly my favorite movie from 1970. As of right now, I, I got to see more. And I actually watched a movie called Wanda uh, from 1970. Uh, directed by uh, written and directed and starred in by Barbara Loden. And she only, that's the only film she ever, you know, wrote and directed. And she mostly did shorts. And it was incredible. And I was like, there's got to be gold from 1970. The Oscars just completely missed. So I'll always keep my eyes open. But um, as far as right now, you know, Five Easy Pieces is my favorite from that year, as far as right now. I think a film that should have been up that was completely ignored was Kelly's Heroes. Oh my God. Yeah. Bitch in World War II action war movie that just completely got shut out maybe maybe they were choosing between that and Patton because they're both world war ii movies maybe 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 but then why did kelly's heroes get nothing else like that's true that's nothing. true it, it got shut out you're right you're right 1970s a, a sparse year i was surprised there really is not a lot that kind of you know pops out yeah you got to search for it and we will you know we're always looking for random horror movies and of course, the 70s are full of all kinds of crazy cult gems. So we'll, we'll always be be looking. But as far as this show goes, uh, you know, it's going to be a long time before we come back to the 43rd Academy Awards. But, it, it you know, we only have a couple choices, really. So, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I give this film an eight. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. What, what are I, I do want to ask you something, because Five Easy Pieces, obviously, I said it influenced Big Lebowski, which is one of your favorite movies ever and mine. And then you said it influenced Magnolia, which is my favorite movie ever. <laughs> Uh, what are what are some everyday kind of folk, you know, screenplays and movies that you just really connect to? Movies that are just kind of like 
people meandering and just kind of yeah, just stuff. like just just yeah, just going going with it. Yeah. Um, it's tough because that's not really my cup of tea. Honestly, I don't really like those kinds of films. Yeah, you're not a big hangout movie kind of guy. Yeah, I yeah, that's definitely more in my bag. Yeah, like uh, like like slacker is is you know like the definition of just like what what's what's even happening? What are these people even doing? One that does pop is uh, Sideways. Oh, I love Sideways. It's right, right there in my fucking shelf. I, yeah, I love Sideways. Well, that 2004, that could come up on this show. Hey, oh. Yes, it could. That would be funny. But uh, the only I will only watch that movie if we absolutely do not drink Merlot, because I will not fucking drink any Merlot. I, I'm with you. Yes, I'm with you. I'm with I you. love his random freak out over the Merlot. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I would say a, a film that popped out to me when I when I thought about doing this episode was like, Oh, I got to bring up blue Valentine. I very much think that blue Valentine takes an influence uh, from films like this, you know, Ryan Gosling's character just kind of, just kind of going with it, man. And has really no idea, you know, th- there's multiple times where Michelle Williams character will, will say stuff like, Oh, like you have more potential than this. And he's like, what does that even mean? You know, what, what are you even talking about? What is this potential? Why can't you just be present with me today? Like right now, and be with me and your daughter. Why do you have to always be looking at the future? And I love characters like that. I relate to them. You know, I really do. You know, I have, I have a daughter now who's almost two years old and I very much get lost in, am I doing the right things as a dad? Am I doing the right things as a, a leader of a family as I'm trying to, you know, push forward and make a life for us. And sometimes I feel like I'm really lost and confused and that's okay. That's okay to feel that way. And I love movies that explore characters like that. Understandably. Uh, Maybe I just haven't had the, you know, the crossroads moment in life. I, I think Boyhood is a movie that explores multiple facets of just the everyday kind of, obviously it's a film over 12 years, but each character, you know, whether you look at Ethan Hawke or Patricia Arquette or Ella Coltrane or Lorelai Linklater, these are all very relatable characters. And in some part of that movie, they're really relatable. And that, that that's fucking powerful to put on screen, you know, um, We've talked about a, a TV show uh, over on uh, on Filmgasm quite a bit called Breaking Bad. Uh, that show thrives on normal ass people from Albuquerque, and I fucking love that. You know, it's 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 kind of my it's kind of my kind of storytelling. You know, I think the Coens are very very good at it. Uh, Raising Arizona, come on, you know, Big Lebowski, you know, A Serious Man, one of my favorite movies ever. You know, these are these are you know always going to be movies that I adore. I think Paul Thomas Anderson is great at taking like a specific, you know, specific kind of guy, like, like Boogie Nights, you know, you take a, a Dirk Diggler character and you really go into it. And this guy is just obviously confused and it, it, it creates a great storyline, right? Where it's just all these different things happening. And I could talk about it all day. I, I love, I love that part of storytelling and for sure part of that part of movies. I'm, I can appreciate a film that has great characters, a great narrative. And there are some films that don't really have, you know, are not very narratively driven that I do fall in love with because of the characters. Yeah. Yeah. There's not many. And I think it's because, you know, I grew up with, uh, I really, I was, I grew up obsessed with the hero's journey and I just, I love trying to find that. And uh, that's really all I got. You know, I mean, I like a film that goes somewhere and occasionally I'll be surprised, but not, not very often. 
Yeah, no, no, it really takes something special, right? Uh, I, I would call Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I would call a, a hangout movie on fucking crack, you know, it's um, on steroids, right? It's got these two major, major players in the game and you put them in a car smoking cigarettes, you got a movie, you know? Um, does it go places? Of course it does. But it, it, it's, it's something that I will always love in movies when like you said, you can thrive off those characters just doing their thing. A movie that pops out to me that's more recent, uh, that would definitely be, you know, a filmgasm type movie is The Lighthouse. Like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, it doesn't matter. Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe are fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, you're right, occasionally it can happen. And I, I definitely keep my eye out for those. I, 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 I'll always feel a sincere, you know, relatability and connection to them. One horror movie that pops to mind. We did this on the on the Filmgasm podcast, and it really, I think, is very character driven. But also, the characters are so real. Twenty eight days later. Oh yes, great call, great the call. Characters in that movie are not you know glamorous Hollywood icons. They're people who look like just regular ass people. Killian Murphy, Brandon Gleason. These are people who you believe would be living in the you know the burbs of London. I mean going through this shit, the way they react is exactly how normal people would react. They kind of just go through the motions of this new world. You just got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that falls under that category. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. No, it's very broad, very broad. I'm not saying that it's like uh, only specific. You, you can really interpret it any way you want. You can look at anything. And uh, uh, shout out to our, 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 our buddy, Josh, he wrote a review for uh, what was it called? What's that one? I, I, uh, where he talks about how it kind of bordered, borders uh slasher and a character study and that's so fascinating right is when you black. can do that yes fade to black thank you I, I i love when someone can interpret a movie that way where uh, anything could be a character study if you really really look at it that way you know boogie nights could be a character study a movie i just brought up five easy pieces could be a character study i i love i love different interpretations of that kind of storytelling because it's it's really up to you it's always up to the up to the audience well said, yeah. If we're talking Jack, I think definitely as good as it gets is one of those films. Oh my all God. about character and all about the evolution of, you know, the people around you. And <laughs> Jack, again, is, you know, at his fucking best, like he always is. Just Yeah, I, yeah. Oh boy. I mean, one for the cuckoo's nest. It's like we, we're watching a guy and the book, oh, Ken Casey, it's just such a damn good book, you know, and that character... McMurphy, he's he's the ultimate. I don't know, I don't know, uh, but we're gonna go watch the baseball game. We're gonna go fish. We're gonna go play cards. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. Moment by moment by moment by moment by moment. He knows no other way. That's the that's his survival tactics. Is moment by moment by moment. And I, yeah, he's the best. He he might be the best at playing those those characters. I would not be surprised if Bobby Dupay and R. P. McMurphy were the same fucking guy. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, yeah. hey, Ken Kesey, Ken Kesey's from Washington, so hey, Washington oh. State, just like the Dupees. All right, that's fantastic. That was good. Let's talk about what happened this week in film. Yes, sir. A lot. It was like no a kidding. lot happening except for movie releases. Yeah, just stuff getting canceled, stuff getting pushed back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Speaking of cancellations and pushbacks, Dune has been pushed back to October 2021, and the Batman has been pushed to March 2022. Black Adam has been removed from the release calendar entirely. <sighs> as much as it Jesus. sucks, I do get it. They do need to 
you know, time to finish these. There is no safe bet on a release being, you know, worth the money right now. So I do understand it. It's it, it sucks, but I get it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I echo everything you just said. Um, also, uh, Disney Pixar's new film Soul is going to be skipping theaters and debuting on Disney Plus on Christmas Day. And get this, you don't have to pay extra for it. <laughs> Hey, thank you. I'll definitely watch that on Christmas Day. That's awesome. Whoever's on the Disney board and like controls the Pixar side of things, they fucking get it. They gave us Onward yep. earlier, you know, earlier than we would have gotten on Disney Plus earlier this year. They're giving us Soul. Those people, they care. Yeah, for the, for the children. <laughs> um, some cool casting news. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be in Marvel's next Spider-Man movie, portraying Doctor Strange. Obviously, as a new mentor for Peter Parker while he goes on the run. Very much looking forward to that movie. Um, This was weird and uh, upsetting. Character actor Thomas Jefferson Bird was murdered in Atlanta, 70 years old. Uh, He worked with Spike Lee quite a few times. And uh, I don't think they've got any leads or anything on what's going on with that investigation. But yeah, he was killed. Jesus. Crazy. God, what the hell, man? I don't know. And these these are the stories, you know. Right now is such a such a delicate time for for everyone out there, you know, especially here in our country. And you know, those are the stories that just get missed, or with everything going on, you you're too distracted. And man, fuck, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of darkness around right now. And I would like to take this opportunity. Um, we get, I don't want to say we get too political on this show or on Filmgasm, but we do have our own opinions on things we do try to talk about the current state of the of the world and i just want to encourage everybody out there uh i don't think voting has ever been as important as it is right now i think we have the opportunity to affect real change in this country and the only way to do that is to vote so find out where your local polling place is find out the dates of early voting in your in your neighborhood and fucking vote do it (laughs) like that's all i can say do it vote yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like you said, that's the only way, right? Is uh, you know, got to be the change. There's that's the only way to put it. As uh, it's not cliche, it's the truth. That's just how we have to do it. Um, unity is more important than anything, and uh, understanding that, being aware of that, is for sure very, very important. Straight up. And uh, I'm going to finish this segment off with two trailers that were released this week. The first is Mank, David Fincher's biopic of Herman Mankiewicz, the man who wrote Citizen Kane. Yes. Darn Gary Oldman. This looks fantastic. I cannot wait. Yes. This is a, I, I didn't even watch the trailer because I don't need to, I don't need to see it. I don't need to see that. I'm, I'm in, I'm locked in. It does not matter what, what anyone says. It's David Fincher doing a black and white film with Gary Oldman starring. I'm in. <laughs> Debuts on Netflix. Uh, I want to say December 7th. Fourth or seventh, fifth, yeah, something like that. In December. Oh, let, 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 let me let me look it up. I thought it was the fourth. Let me look it up. What's okay. the other trailer though? Batman. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. This looks like the weirdest film ever made, but I I'll be damned if I'm not going to be there day one. <laughs> I, I I kind of agree. I, I agree. Yeah, it's December fourth. Uh, oh, okay. For, for, for Mank, it, that's what that's what it says here on the the Collider uh, article that was written yesterday. Yeah. Okay, December fourth. Mark your calendars. Netflix. So, Fat Man. 
is a film about a gritty, grizzled Santa Claus played by Mel Gibson, who is targeted by a hitman played by Walton Goggins, who has been hired to kill Santa by a petulant child who got coal in his stocking. Yes. <laughs> it looks like the most ridiculous Christmas action movie ever made, and I'm going to see it for sure. <laughs> of course. Yeah, we're gonna we're definitely gonna gonna have to jump into that one and have some fun. Walton Goggins is the fucking man. But Mel Gibson as like a fucked up drunk Santa Claus. <laughs> I didn't know I Sign needed me. that, but here we are. Sign me up, yeah. <laughs> and Mel Gibson's a very divisive figure. We haven't really talked about a lot on these shows. He hasn't come up. And uh, we will talk about him at length when he does come up because he's done some, you know, some amazing films, but he, his personal life is pretty fucked up. Yeah, definitely, definitely an interesting, interesting career on and off screen. One of the few uh, filmmakers who's kind of been given a pass uh, with all this shit. Yeah, I, I'd like to know why. Yeah, we're definitely going to yeah dive into that one day. Yeah, for sure. And that covers what happened this week in film. And uh, we do apologize for the lack of kind of, uh, what, what am I trying to say here? Uh, lack of info. I mean, we are, we do kind of give the headlines here. We don't have a lot of time to go in depth on these uh, segments, but uh, you know, more on that in the future. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the, the current stuff, you know, there's a time and place for it, you know. Yeah, it's uh, more about the Oscars in this show, and we'll figure that out. Yeah, we want to point out what's happening in the in the state of film right now, but this is you know it is kind of tacked on. We know that, <laughs> and we are working. Yeah, it's all good, and it's a it's a great way to segue into what we're going to be doing next week to get you guys excited. Obviously, you're amped. I'm amped. That's because we're going to the 58th Academy Awards, 1985, Back to the Future, Connor's favorite movie of all time. Ah, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> a little little bit of Zemeckis action. Uh, you know, this movie was not up for Best Picture. So we'll, we will be doing something a, a little bit different. I would say the biggest award that it was up for was Best Screenplay. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. So that would be um, The Purple Rose of Cairo, The Official Story, Brazil, Back to the Future, and The Winner, Witness. So we are going to try to watch all five of those before next week if you guys want to check them out. Um, the Official Story is on Criterion. Uh, Brazil was on Criterion. I don't know if it's gone anymore or if it's on HBO Max. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, the Purple Rose of Cairo, I know, is not available on anything. And Witness. Are you? Do you know anything about Witness? Witness was on Hulu. I don't think it is anymore, though. It's this stuff changes all the time. It, yeah, it's rotating in and out all the time. But I, I yeah, if it, it's gonna be tough. But hey, Back to the Future is the main thing. I know most people who are interested in that probably fucking own it. So. Yeah. Definitely, definitely come back next week to, to have some fun with us because it's it's a it's a very special movie to Connor. He's seen it about 500 times. I've seen it two times and this will be just my third. So that's gonna be a special time. And I can't wait. I'm kind of going to I'm basically going to interview you if you're ready for that. So <laughs> next week will be next week will be a lot of questions from me to you. And we're going to just oh. we're going to go back to the future. Witness is on stars. And oh, there you go. Back to the Future is on Netflix. So if you want there you go. To, you know, to keep up with us, that's where you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, there, you know, there's options. Uh, I personally, I'm very excited to see the official story. It's a Argentinian film that won best foreign language film that year. So, uh, yeah, I'm ready. It's, uh, it's going to be an interesting group. You know, we have Brazil, Terry Gilliam, uh, Purple Rose of Cairo, Woody Allen. 
know, and then witness Earl W. Wallace. And then of course, back to the future, Robert Zemeckis. So yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun, man. Can't wait. Oh, absolutely. Next week's going to be a fucking blast. I may not shut up for three hours. <laughs> hey, that's, that's, that is a okay. Ah, goddamn. Yeah. And on the, uh, this week on the Filmgasm podcast, we are redoing an old favorite. We're doing Saw. Uh, very much looking forward to that, giving an old solo effort, the full Filmgasm treatment. And uh, yeah, next week we're doing Back to the Future and we will see you next Sunday. Thank you for listening.